You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business unusual. Afternoon, everybody. Welcome to uh, the Top Woman Business Unusual podcast. Today, I am uh, very fortunate to be in the presence of a very energetic, diverse, innovative uh, lady, young lady by the name of Jayshree Naidu. Um, Jayshree Naidu is is very much a thought leader um, on innovation and entrepreneurship, and the CEO of Yeti. Welcome, Jayshree. Thank you so much, Carla, and thank you so much for having me on this podcast. I'm looking forward to a conversation with you. Such a pleasure. It's really nice uh, to have you with us. And I think today we're talking about something that's really relevant, especially in South Africa. We're talking about entrepreneurship. Um, We're going to unpack how we awaken a culture of an entrepreneurship, I think, in the corporate sector. Why building your side hustle is more important now than it's ever been and uh, what it takes to really be a successful entrepreneur. And you've got a lot of insight into this. You've been on a journey with entrepreneurs. Uh, we met, I think, four or five years ago um, at a mutual client that, that we both, work, both worked with uh, where you were running one of the accelerator and incubator programs and very, very successfully. Tell me what... I mean, my my first thing is, what led you to entrepreneurship in the first place? So, Carla, I think it's something I've always been passionate about. Um, In fact, now when I think back to it, and I get asked this question quite often, I have to think back to my dad. Uh, My dad worked in a corporate role all his life, over 40 years, but he had this amazing side hustle. He was actually a photographer. And at dinner tables and on weekends, we would immerse ourselves into this world of him, you know, being this casual photographer for weddings and birthdays and events. And it just, it stuck with me as something that, you know, you could still have your own business and have a job, almost the best of both worlds. And I've just always been attracted to people being able to write their own stories, write their own histories and write their own paychecks at the end of the day as well. Uh, so maybe not a good entrepreneurial journey to follow at the moment, photography uh, <laughs> and, and events. But um, from that, I mean, the sense I get is that entrepreneurship is largely a drive of passion. Um, it comes from, from, it's created out of a sense of passion, or is that somewhat of a myth in your experience? Well, you know, um, there's two sides to this conversation. Yes, passion is very, very important because if you're passionate about your business, you'll be able to sustain some of the hardships that you know, come as a result of being an entrepreneur. But passion is not enough. You know, there has to be the strong business acumen that takes your business to the next level. There has to be a strong skill set. So although we'd love to believe that passion is enough to keep businesses sustainable, that's not always practical. Um, so yes, it is somewhat of a myth that passion is all that's needed. Uh, it's passion plus a whole lot of other things that's needed to make sure your business is successful. So at the moment, we're seeing a, I would say, quite a volatile market. Um, not, uh, you know, world, globally, people are facing all sorts of challenges, but specifically in South Africa, We've had um, a goal to drive entrepreneurship, to drive job creation. It's important uh, as a key uh, driver of growth for our economy. And within that, at the same time, we've got corporates who are slashing uh, jobs. Um, There's mass retrenchments happening. You are currently sitting 
and have been before lockdown, working with, I think it was over 300 representatives that we've been working with in the corporate sector around embedding a culture of entrepreneurship. Why is that so important, especially in corporate, um, to, to be implementing and embedding that? Okay. So the initiative you're referring to, Carla, it was actually from two major banks in South Africa, and it was targeting staff that had been affected by retrenchments but had chosen entrepreneurship as part of their reskilling. And that's important because it gives the organization an opportunity to offer staff members a skill set that they can use outside of any corporate role that they may apply for in the future and ensure that these individuals have structured learning around entrepreneurship, how to start their businesses, how to grow their businesses, but the basics around registering a business to the marketing and branding. It's important because you can't just tell someone, go out there and be an entrepreneur. Uh, some people say, well, entrepreneurs are born, you know, you're either born an entrepreneur, it's not something you can learn. And I, I totally disagree. You can learn the key skills, the key uh, business acumen that you need to become an entrepreneur, to become a successful entrepreneur. We work with hundreds of entrepreneurs on our growth programs, and we see how they take the learnings, embrace the learnings, and then run sustainable businesses and are able to grow their businesses. So it's important for organizations to offer these type of programs and not just programs on computer skills or digital skills. Yes, those programs, as well as programs on how to run your own business, write your own paycheck, even if it's about growing just um, substance, substance entrepreneurs that we refer to, where individuals are just making a living, but they are able to survive. I mean, models in some developing countries have actually proven that the entrepreneurs or the small businesses, the necessity entrepreneurs, are the ones that are actually creating jobs for others around the ecosystem as opposed to large corporates. Large corporates are cutting jobs. Smaller businesses are creating jobs. So it is important for big business to focus on the space and focus on the space with a, a really, really strong lens around entrepreneurship as well as entrepreneurship. But we'll touch on entrepreneurship, I think, a little bit later. So I think, I mean, that, that's from, I've read some of the articles that you've written and in some of those articles you refer to some of the corporate, some, some entrepreneurs with corporate history tend to succeed better or are more likely to succeed on the entrepreneurship journey. Why is that? So, Carla, I don't know. Have you ever worked in a corporate? I, I don't know what to call this. I think I would family-run business which interacts with corporates, so therefore I understand the model, but um, I don't know if I'm <laughs> So someone like me, I've spent over 20 years working in large corporates in South Africa, you know, from financial services to insurance companies, to manufacturing companies, to tech companies. And um, working in a corporate, you actually underestimate the power of some of those leadership programs that you attend. Some of the programs that you attend on culture and the soft skills, uh, leadership development, as well as, you know, uh, technical skills like project management and business case writing. So you work in a corporate, you collect all of these skills along the way. You also learn about corporate politics, how to engage with individuals at different levels. So you're exposed to a whole lot of learnings, some intentional and some unintentional. And when you become an entrepreneur, you actually pull from those sources of knowledge that you've acquired over the years. And that makes you quite a formidable entrepreneur. And sometimes I'll be in a meeting and a client would ask, 
a question and I will be able to respond not realizing that the response comes from the knowledge that I've acquired from working in a corporate. Oh. So corporates actually provide an amazing opportunity for you to grow your skill sets, for you to just learn a lot more about certain things to understand how politics work within large organizations and how to maneuver those um, complex conversations that you will have when you become an entrepreneur. And that's one of the reasons I think individuals that have worked in corporates and then move into becoming an entrepreneur tend to be slightly more successful than individuals that have just gone straight into entrepreneurship. There are the anomalies. There are amazing individuals. All they've ever done is be an entrepreneur. They went straight out of school or straight out of university. They kicked off a startup and they've never looked back. So there's always two sides to, to any one of these stats or you know, areas that we focus on. So speaking of fathers, I mean, my father, also an entrepreneur, he left school. He couldn't, he couldn't finish school in the UK at the age of 13, and he had to start working. And he built the business that we continue to run today uh, as an entrepreneur, but he just had that natural entrepreneurial blood. Um, I don't know if, I mean, yet, and maybe we can speak to this later, but second or third generation entrepreneurs you know, is that, is that something that is, is happening? Is it a thing or is, it, is entrepreneur really an independent individual uh, uh, suit, if I can put it that way? Again, Carla, um, I think it's both. Yeah. So, yes, um, conversations around the dinner table. So, yesterday, in fact, we were having dinner and my daughter said to me, oh, I didn't know we are going to be talking business. And I said to her, but of course we talk business. We talk business at, at every, uh, you know, every opportunity we get because that's who we are. We all are involved in the business. She, in fact, is working in the business. But I said to her, but you're welcome to put anything else on the table. And she said, no, no, the conversation is very interesting so we can continue. So she's a young adult. But second and third generation entrepreneurs, definitely it's a thing. It's continuing, um, you know, lots of individuals are continuing the legacies that their parents have, have left. But what we're finding is they're adding their own spin to it, their own innovations to it. They're changing the traditional to, to, to be suited um, to the new world that we live in. But on the other hand, uh, there are quite a few individuals who are finally choosing to be entrepreneurs and not by default, but they are choosing it uh, by making the right decisions around um, what they are good at doing. So let me just elaborate on this a little bit more. In the past, entrepreneurship was something you went into if you couldn't go into anything else and if you failed at other stuff. So that's when you became an entrepreneur or a small business owner or someone that would, you know, I'll kick off a, a home industry because I can't get a job. Now individuals are saying, actually, there's a business model around home industries, around being a private ship. I want to make a business out of it. And that's really important because we've got to teach kids from a school level that entrepreneurship is as much a career choice as being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Entrepreneurship should be up there with some of those career choices that we push our kids into, not understanding the value that the economy can derive from more entrepreneurs. Um, and the value that the individual can derive from having independence and control over their own destiny. So, yeah, I agree with that as well. I think it's, um, it's very, in many ways, I see it's, it's more than become a choice now. It's almost become what I would say, what, when, you know, it's become cool to be an entrepreneur. Um, but if you look at, I mean, I look at the global statistics, not more than 5% of the population are actually entrepreneurs. So, you know, when we are encouraging people to go on this journey, how are we avoiding setting them up for failure with such a small proportion 
with such a, uh, we're looking for a large proportion of entrepreneurs to help drive the economy, but only such a small proportion is actually cutting it. You know, I go back to um, a lesson I learned a while ago is when we try and teach kids um, how to use vision boarding and we teach entrepreneurs how to use vision boarding as well, right? Um, sometimes for the first time, a kid in a rural school would have seen a black female traveling to Paris as an example. So you can't relate to something you have never seen. Um, and unless we start creating more case studies and showcasing entrepreneurship as something you should aspire towards, we won't get individuals being attracted to it. I mean, some people have even said to me, well, why do they make entrepreneurship so difficult? And I said, what's difficult about it? And they say, well, start with the spelling, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, of an entrepreneur. Where does it even come from? I mean, it's, it's a French based word, right? That has morphed through the years. And this is now what we use loosely to talk about everyone running any type of business. And there are differences between entrepreneurs and small businesses and all of that. But you and I are talking about individuals who are running their own businesses, writing their own paychecks and making a difference. So there are so few people that are doing this because it's a scary space to operate in. Why is it scary? Because many individuals don't understand it. All we hear um, state departments and news agencies talk about is the failure rate associated with entrepreneurship. Yes, there is a large failure rate with entrepreneurs. Let's not sugarcoat this. It's not an easy space to be in. But what needs to be done to overcome those failures? What can entrepreneurs do differently? Uh, what about the success stories of individuals that have been able to be sustainable over tens of years? You guys are what? A second, third generation company. You've been running for lots of years. I would go as far as to say you've survived as an entrepreneur. It's not been easy. I know you're hiding some of that gray hair, but <laughs> it's definitely something that you can overcome with the right support and the right instruments um, that can be unlocked. And unfortunately, we don't put enough of those support mechanisms out there to help entrepreneurs overcome some of these challenges. And that's why our numbers will always be this low. I think that that's comes to what you're doing is uh, the entrepreneurship journey is very unstructured. Right. It's, it's uh, I mean, I've seen in, again, some of your posts that you do, there, there is a structure today in which, in which you build a program to help entrepreneurs. But when you're on that entrepreneurship journey yourself, you are not thinking, hey, when I start an idea, I need to validate that idea. And how do I validate that idea? Um, is it through my parents? Is it through uh, a board of trustees? Is it random polls I put on, on a social network? Um, what are what are some of the the first just brought, you know talk if I'm wanting to get into entrepreneurship, the first most valuable things that I could really embark on in the very beginning to avoid that lack lackluster unstructured approach, uh, which I think would have helped many people. But then again, the lessons you learn teach you anyway. Um, but I think you there to also guide people to say. This is how you can. This is how you can avoid the mistakes that most people have made by doing what. So, if you're an individual in a corporate role, and you are now thinking about leaving your corporate role or kicking off a side hustle, so if you are thinking about leaving the organization and starting a business while you're in that organization, it's not about exploiting the resources but it is about asking key questions to make sure you um, don't set yourself up for failure. So some of those questions are, do I have the skills required to start this business in this specific space? So for example, one of the staff members we were helping grow wanted to open a swim school, but she did not know how to swim. 
Now, I use that example because she could say the reason I want to open a swim school is because I know what a limiting factor it was for me growing up because I did not know how to swim. But opening a swim school, you've got to understand everything about that business. So that's just one of the examples. But you've got to know whether or not you have the skill sets. If you have the skill sets, great. You know, they say move to the next playing piece on, on, a, on a game board. If you don't, then acquire those skill sets while you're in the organization. But if you're not inclined to be a swimmer, as an example, then you've got to find someone that's a really good swimmer to come with you and be part of your business. So if you want to open a technology company, but you don't have a clue about coding and you have no desire to learn, then you've got to identify someone that has those skills. So skills and your skills gap analysis is absolutely critical. The second thing we advise entrepreneurs, and then I'll, I'll hand back over to you, Carla, and this is a very, very important focus area as well, is do you have a sufficient runway? And your runway has to be, and, and everyone argues this point. Some people say you just need three minutes or three months of your salary. Others say you need six months. We say you need at least 12 to 18 months financial runway. And it doesn't equate to 12 to 18 months of your salary. It equates to 12 to 18 months of your key financial expenses. What do you need to survive month to month? And you've got to give yourself the, that runway. And then individuals say to us, but if you're an entrepreneur and you're a hustler, you've got to start making money. Yes, but realistically, you don't start making money from month one. You may be delivering work from month one, but your clients only start paying you sometimes from month five or six, sometimes from month 12. It all depends on your client as well. And you also don't want the pressure of having to bring in income while trying to grow the strategy of your business or trying to write those business proposals. And that's the reason you give yourself a runway as well. I think it goes to a lot of people thinking entrepreneurship, I'm going to earn my own paycheck, but very often that is definitely not the case. There is no sort of, um, what's a golden pot at the end of that rainbow or the grass isn't necessarily uh, green on the other side. Um, there are a lot of uh, sort of challenges that that comes within itself. So um, if we look at what, I mean, we want to talk about definitely successes, but I think, like I just mentioned, a lot of our successes we learn from our failures. And what are what would you say are some of the biggest failures that that entrepreneurs um, make when setting out on their entrepreneurship journey? So they have this assumption that if I build it, they will come. Mm. If I sell it, they will buy. Um, so entrepreneurs don't take the time and they don't use the tools that are available to properly validate their business ideas. And that's with actual paying customers or individuals that are like your paying customers. We refer to these as, you know, personas and using things like the lean startup methodology. So entrepreneurs just don't take the time to do what's needed uh, on the back end of their product launch or defining their products and they go to market strategy, unfortunately. So that's the mistakes lots of entrepreneurs make. The other is assuming that clients <laughs> will pay on time and they yep. overextend themselves in terms of their cash flow. They put far too much out there uh, without having enough in the bank so that they can survive. I mean, very few entrepreneurs and businesses have actually survived this COVID-19 pandemic that we've just been through. And this is absolutely uh, devastating, you know, for the work that we do as well. 
And it's so important to be able to pivot your business when you need to pivot. And I'm really proud of some of the entrepreneurs we've worked with that have taken the tools and training that they have acquired. And during this lockdown, they actually pivoted their businesses. They used existing resources to do different things um, to leverage off you know, what's happening in this market space at the moment. Um, so entrepreneurs don't use strategy tools effectively. Um, I know when you were in a corporate, it was like, how the hell do I use these tools? People are teaching me, but where do I use them? As an entrepreneur, I guarantee you, if you use these tools effectively, it will help you um, survive from a business perspective. And then thirdly, I don't think entrepreneurs um, take thought leadership and the acquisition of knowledge seriously enough. And this for me is important because I see firsthand how thought leadership, writing a post, writing an article, giving my voice to topics on innovation and entrepreneurship has actually helped me attract more business. 70% of our business comes from LinkedIn as a platform. And that's crazy. Because, and it's because of you know, my ability to write little pieces or share articles or give my commentary. Um, and entrepreneurs don't take this seriously enough. So they underestimate the power of your voice and the power of thought leadership when attracting new clients as well. I think it's also a confidence thing, isn't it? It's, am I, it's putting yourself out there um, and waiting for that backlash of, am I, you know, am I actually a thought leader? Um, and if I put myself out there, what kind of feedback am I going to get back? And am I ready? It's a, it's a confidence thing. Am I ready to embark on that journey of, of criticism that I might need to take up? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's Women's Month, right? And we're having this conversation, which is great. Most entrepreneurs, and especially women entrepreneurs, um, they suffer with something called imposter syndrome. <laughs> so they're continuously questioning should I be here? Do I belong? And even when we're running pitching competitions, um, we find more often than not, it's the male entrepreneurs who stand up and say, I'm ready to pitch. And the female entrepreneurs are always holding themselves back. We are going to be delivering another program soon for one of the banks um, on innovation. And all four finalists are men. <laughs> you know. And this also comes back to, well, do I believe in what I'm selling? Um, I have a great idea, but should I be putting it out there? And Carla, you know, I mentioned this to you uh, when we chatted earlier in the week that I gave a talk on people are so much more than the jobs they do. Um, I, I did a TEDx talk and I really believe that. But as entrepreneurs as well, we don't have enough faith sometimes in should I actually be standing up here? Should I actually be getting this contract? Should I actually apply for this tender? Um, so that belief in yourself and your product is so important. And the way you get past that is through product validation. Your first customer is the best way to validate your product. But before you get to your first customer, make sure you validate with individuals that can help tweak your product so you offer something really great to your first customer and your end consumer as well. I know we've got the same problem because we run awards uh, across industries. Uh, obviously, the Top Women Awards is one of them, which are uh, one of our flagship awards and Standard Bank partner with us on that and sponsor that. But over the years, I've been doing this for more than 15 years, I notice when it comes to Top Women Awards, it's the hardest awards to get women um, to put up their hand and say, I've done something good or even believe, you know, believe it themselves. It's more often than not somebody else nominating them, which never happens in the male <laughs> among the men. Um, and I think, I mean, it is Women's Month and Happy Women's Month. I meant to actually start that off in the very beginning, but I just got excited to have you here. So I think, um, and it's significant. And I, and I want to speak to those female entrepreneurs and those women who are in those positions. 
Uh, we were speaking to Ralph did a podcast with Kate Moodley, um, who's head of Discovery, one of the franchises at Discovery. She's got a, a book that she's done on personal branding, and she is raising her kids at home, but her husband has become a massive support mechanism for her. Um, and it's just, you know, there are very, it's the same thing in, in terms of the numbers of entrepreneurs that are successful, the numbers of businesswomen that are successful, females that come out to put their hand up. Is why, I mean, how do, how, what can we, how can we encourage these women to come out and say they don't have to have all the skills to be able to do something? Um, what, what do we need to tell them? What do we need, to, what's the message we need to leave with them? Hmm. That's a tough question, hey. Um, let me start by saying I'm part of some amazing women's groups. So I was also identified as an inspiring 50 winner last year, um, which identifies women in STEM. That's science, technology, engineering, and maths. The 50 top women uh, in STEM in South Africa. And I must admit, uh, for a little while, I felt like an imposter myself because I'm surrounded by these amazing women in technology and science that are aeronautical engineers and qualified PhDs and doctors and just the most amazing women, um, you know, a tribe of women out there. And as I started engaging with this community, I realized that I belong. <laughs> and, um, in fact, Carla, I spoke about this, I think, at one of the, the top women events a while ago, where we are our worst, our own worst enemy, where we don't actually believe in ourselves. And before others can believe in ourselves, we have to believe in ourselves. Now, throughout the years in my career as well, I either felt I was not old enough or I was, you know, at one point I thought I was too young. I even uh, lied about my age uh, in an interview in those days when they could still ask you how old you were. I was 29 at the time. And when the, when the decision maker asked, how old are you? I said, I'm in my 30. And that's not grammatically correct <laughs> because you can't be in your 30. You can be in your 30s. But I said, I'm in my 30 because in my mind, I'm 29 going on 30 and it just sounded better. So we always, um, you know, putting ourselves at a disadvantage by not believing in ourselves. And to answer your question in a, in a roundabout way, I think we need more communities like the ones you guys have put together with the top women, like Inspiring 50, like some of the WhatsApp groups I'm on. I'm speaking at an Astute Women event on Friday that's coming up. So we need more communities of these women because once you see others um, at a certain level, it's like that vision board example I gave you you feel like you can also be one of those individuals. You can also aspire to greatness. You can also achieve the unachievable in your mind um, that you've made unachievable. So we need a lot more platforms like the ones you guys have to share the success stories of women. Because by sharing these stories, more individuals will want to be in the limelight. Women are also very conservative when a, a man will nominate himself for an award. A woman will call her friend and say, can you please nominate me because I don't want to nominate myself. Even though the processes say you can nominate yourself, but it's almost we don't want to talk about our accomplishments. We don't want to own our success. We'd rather someone else shed light on the work we do. And that's a mindset we need to change. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think, so, what, there is another thing. I mean, we, I'm just going to jump back because something you were mentioning about when we step into entrepreneurship, one of the things we should look at is your runway, right? And that's your financial uh, journey. And I think, one, we've done polls with entrepreneurs before, which says, uh, what are your biggest sort of challenges and barriers to success? And often it, the least, the least, uh, the least percentage on that poll is financial. 
It's more around coaching, mentorship, um, sales and marketing. It's more the soft skills really than those hard, you know, how do you do financing and all those sorts of things. Is that your, I mean, is that your um, experience as well, Jeshri? So our experience in engaging with entrepreneurs is, um, so financial does actually come up quite a bit. Most individuals think they understand finance. I mean, <laughs> you would assume that I understand finance. I've worked in some of the biggest financial institutions in South Africa. But when it comes to financial management of your business and SME finance, it's different. It's different when you work in a corporate and you understand uh, finance at that level and managing a budget to when you're working in an S as an SME and you've got to manage your business and you've got to manage your cash flow and you've got to understand things like the psychology of money, which one of the our technical experts that we use to help entrepreneurs with finance, uh, Precious and Volane, she talks about the psychology of money. Uh, when you land a large contract, what do you do with that money? What's your purchasing behavior? What's your mindset? And the irresponsible actions that so many small businesses take uh, because they don't understand um, the financial impact of their decisions on their business. And so finance comes out quite, you know, high up. The other areas that we find entrepreneurs really struggle with is professional marketing and branding. Now, you work in, a, in an organization where you get what I'm saying in this. Everyone thinks they know marketing and branding. It's like, oh, I wake up in an organization and I don't need a marketing department. I can tell you what I need to do with my logo and my brand. So uh, organizations really struggle with the professionalism that's required when it comes to things like marketing and branding for their businesses. And then, you know, we find you're absolutely right on the soft skill side, things like negotiation skills, um, understanding how to put proposals together, communication and being able to articulate your business the ability to stand in front of a panel or stand in front of a camera or do a radio interview. And how do you do those things? Entrepreneurs really struggle with because they may be technical experts and really good at what their business does, but all of the other things that really make you attractive to an investor, to a listener, they may not have. I mean, if I came onto this uh, podcast and I wasn't sure of myself and I hesitated and, uh, you know, I just had to read notes in between, then your listeners would automatically assume I'm not capable of delivering what my business says it can deliver. Even though I might be an amazing technical expert at helping entrepreneurs grow. So those soft skills as well is what entrepreneurs really, really struggle with. So we're talking about how we build a side hustle, right? And uh, one, of the, one of the themes that we said here is, is there's no time like now to do that. What in your opinion, I mean, I've got my views on, on, on why that's important, <laughs> but what, what is, why is that so important at the moment? What, what is, the, is, it, is it the nail in the coffin that, at the moment? Is it, is, why is it this timing? So I read a quote and I posted earlier, it says, you can't work for us if you only work for us. <laughs> I want to say that again. You can't work for us if you only work for us. And what I said in my post was this should actually become the mantra of large corporates where they promote individuals uh, thinking like entrepreneurs by owning their own side hustles. And I'll tell you why it's an important, I'll tell you why I think it's important in a bit. But I just want to commend organizations and some of them who we are working with that are actually forward thinking enough to help individuals grow their entrepreneurial skills through intrapreneurship programs um, that allow them to think like entrepreneurs while working in a corporate 
And why that's important, uh, Carla, is if I teach you something, I can't unteach you that. So if I teach you how to run a business effectively and how to look at things like return on investment, how to validate a business idea, how to take your side hustle to the next level, you know those skills, you have those skills, and you can apply those skills. Yes, you will apply it to your business, your own side hustle. But guess what? You'll also start applying some of those skills and knowledge into your day-to-day job, your job that the corporate is employing you to fulfill. So you'll start questioning things. I mean, you know, when, when I ran the incubator in a previous life, I would question everything. So I would question the cost of something. I would question the setup of something because I think like an entrepreneur. So I don't think like a corporate where I've got this massive paycheck. I think like a startup because I am an entrepreneur. And that's what you want your staff members to think like. Because imagine if every staff member started questioning the costs allocated to certain products, the cost allocated to stationery, to office space. Um, Everyone would be contributing to the organization, saving millions across the entire staff complement. So the time is now because... We are realizing that with COVID-19, there are so many more companies that are going to be restructuring. And if they're not going to be restructuring in the next six months because they want to create a perception that all is well, the restructuring will come in the next 12 to 18, two years to five years because organizations have no other choice but to cut staff. So if organizations can promote this attitude towards let me grow entrepreneurs, hopefully you would not have as many job losses as we would have had because individuals are thinking about their roles differently. And guess what? You'll also have natural attrition because people will leave to grow their side hustles because you've given them the tools and skills to do so. So they leave because they want to, not because they have to. So it's really important for organizations to see the need to grow these skills um, and the value it can bring, not just to them, but to the economy and to their staff as well. And, you know, at the moment, a lot of people are going through uh, the... This I would I would say in somewhat maybe some depression of you know I've been retrenched or I'm I'm anxious about the possibility of retrenchment and it can become a crippling uh, um, become crippling in terms of progress in terms of your creative thinking in terms of productivity uh, and I think maybe many people might look at you and say oh well you know Jeshri, you've been you know, through all the top corporates and you've had this great past experience and what challenges have you had to overcome uh, along your entrepreneurship journey? I know that you left the corporate world to pursue what you did and you faced quite significant challenges. Just, I mean, what I'm just trying to unpack a little bit how, how we can share that experience with other people so that they understand it, there is light after the tunnel. It does happen. Uh, it is tough times. Um, and you're still there inspiring. Um, TED Talks, uh, blogs, winning awards, top 50 most influential. I think you were named um, as putting entrepreneurs first by Fast, Fast Company South Africa. So what is it that, what, what, what gave you that, ability to overcome those challenges and if you want to talk about it a little bit more then then I'll leave that to you. Sure no problem I mean I love sharing my journey because I feel that it's an opportunity to also educate others and make sure that you know um, they they don't fall into similar traps but at the end of 2017 I decided to leave my corporate role I resigned from the position that I was in and I was going to relaunch my business but I've always followed the advice we give entrepreneurs. So I would not have done it if I did not have my runway in place, which I did. 
Um, the plan was to relaunch our business in 2018, in February 2018. But in January 2018, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And what that meant was all of the plans that we had for relaunching our business had to be put on hold. Because during 2018, I had three surgeries. And after every surgery, I couldn't I didn't have use of my hands for almost six weeks at a time. And in between, I was also going through chemotherapy. <laughs> and um, I smile about it now because my hair's all grown back and I've never been too obsessed with my hair in any case, but I do have a full head of hair now. Uh, it was an extremely difficult journey. I mean, I only completed my last treatment uh, about a month ago, which was my last official treatment um, in terms of my uh, oncology treatment. Um, so it's been a very, very um, challenging last couple of years. But what? Uh, why did I persevere? I persevered because I made a decision to relaunch my business. Um, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to hustle. Yes, I'm always going to get offers from large corporates with interesting roles. But when I made the decision to leave the last corporate that I was in, I also made a decision to never go back into a corporate, but to rather become an entrepreneur. And when I went through my cancer journey, I realized that I have to be an entrepreneur because I can dictate my own times. Um, I tried working on a project which took up about 80% of my time and I felt physically ill. So I don't operate at the same levels that I used to, for example, when you and I engaged and that energetic person, yes, I'm still very, very energetic compared to most, but for me, I've had to slow down a little bit. And entrepreneurship allows me the flexibility to do that. But I also decided to use technology to help me go through this journey. And I even went as far as to download software that I could speak into and it would help me write my articles. And then with minor editing, I could send them out uh, for publishing, which is what I did. I also managed to write a couple of proposals. So that's how I overcame um, some of the challenges that I was experiencing. I still kept uh, up to date on what was happening on my social media platforms. I continued writing tiny little posts and articles on LinkedIn. So unless I told someone that I had breast cancer, they would not have known. No. Um, they would have just continued thinking, oh, um, Jay's really busy. She's launched a new business. Or this is what they're doing. And this is what she's talking about. So I made sure that I was still relevant. But because I'm passionate about breast cancer, my mom's a breast cancer survivor. My aunt is a breast cancer survivor. I've lost an aunt to breast cancer. I also decided that because I have such a large social media following, I had to use my voice to create awareness on early detection, which is something I've been doing even before I was diagnosed with this, uh, with this disease or illness or whatever you want to call it. So I decided I will not let it define me. It is not who I am. It's just something that I have. And I used that time to also create awareness around this illness and, and support early detection. So as an entrepreneur, the beauty is it's your voice. You can use it to grow your business. You can use it to drive a social cause, but it's about that tenacity and drive and never giving up. And if we go back to what we were chatting about earlier, Carla, if you have a strong purpose and a strong passion for your business, um, you'll be able to overcome almost any obstacle because you know this is what you want to be known for. This is what legacy you want to leave. So it's really important to, to believe in yourself and irrespective of what challenges you face, um, you can overcome them if you just put yourself out there and, and share your words. You have a voice, so you need to use it effectively as well. And I mean, are there 
occasions where I know we're encouraging entrepreneurship and rightly so, but are there occasions that you've sat with somebody and said, listen, this entrepreneurship journey, it's really not for you as much as you might want it, you know, and where do we draw the line? Maybe, maybe there's people listening going, I, you know, I've been trying this for so long. I read a post the other day about a girl on LinkedIn, um, young entrepreneur. She's been an entrepreneurial journey for five years. She decided to pack up and go and work for a corporate, very excited. There were a whole host of reasons why it didn't work. Well, one, you know, she wanted the fancy car. She wanted the financial benefits of being able to get a bond and all these other things. But it, a deep, you know, beyond that, where do we draw the line with this journey isn't really for you? Um, or am I on the wrong path? You know, that's, that's just so, so tricky as well, uh, Carla. Great question, but a really tricky one. Because, again, um, even when it comes to skill sets, I believe anything can be taught. And maybe I believe that because I'm a certified trainer on things like lateral thinking, where we teach people how to think differently. And innovation comes from challenges, so wherever there's a challenge, there's an opportunity to innovate. And the output of um, entrepreneurship is innovation, right? And the roundabout way of me answering this is, I believe anyone with the right skills, the right drive, and the right support can be a successful entrepreneur. However, in saying that, 10 minutes ago, I was on a call with an entrepreneur that came through one of our programs, and she worked in corporate for 18 years. She's now trying to launch this business, and we've been working with her for the last year or so. And unfortunately, she just doesn't have that tenacity and drive that's required to make a business successful because she doesn't take control over the situation. She doesn't do the right level of research. She doesn't write, ask the right questions. And we've tried um, mentoring her for lots of hours. We've gone beyond what, what the required mentoring hours were supposed to be with this particular individual. So I can see without a shadow of a doubt that she will not survive in the world of entrepreneurship as soon as she's able to, she will probably go back into a corporate role. And it's not because she just can't do it. It's because she has not embraced the learning opportunities to make the necessary changes to be a successful entrepreneur. So I don't know if that answers your questions, but yeah, that's the way I feel about, um, you know, whether you are born an entrepreneur, whether you can survive and, and when, you will only know when you need to walk away from this journey. I think, I mean, I would say it's the individual's, probably the individual's decision um, and they get a sense of when that is coming. And so at the moment, again, you are an entrepreneur and they say that entrepreneurship, like you've said, is about finding opportunities, um, which at the moment there are, I would say, many because we're in such a, I don't want to say tragic situation because there are opportunities that come from that. If you, and, and if we're speaking to people that are going on that journey now, what, what sectors, for example, would you focus on? Are there sectors that you really think are thriving for entrepreneurship at the moment? Um, yeah. So not so much sectors, but more in terms of way of work. So there's a new way of work. You know, I was speaking to another entrepreneur earlier and he said to me, 2030 has been brought forward 10 years. <laughs> and what they meant by that is the embracing of 4IR. I mean, everyone was talking 4IR, but no one actually understood the impact of 4IR. And now all of us have been thrown into the deep end. I mean, you and I probably would not have been having a conversation over Zoom and recording it and doing a podcast if we were, you know, if it were nine months ago, because this, the world was just looking very different then. So what we see the opportunities in the space now with everything that's happened is if you have the ability to take your products online, so taking your products or services online is the focus 
Um, it's going to be the focus for at least the next two years. And by that time, it would be the norm. Yeah. Because that's where we were heading to with a lot of, uh, you know, um, remote speaking and remote conferencing and, and all of that. There's going to be a lot more focus on the impact of decisions on the environment. Uh, and if you could have, if you worked, if you've worked for nine months remotely, why now do we need 100% of our staff um, and workforce back in the offices. If we were able to do with remote meetings, why now do we have to fly 12 executives for a meeting in Cape Town or Barbados or Mauritius or wherever else that is? You know, so lots of questions are going to come down the line. So online, if you can take your products and services online, uh, invest in e-commerce platforms, that's the way to go. If you are able to invest in digital skills, coding and understanding the way platform businesses work everything will shift to becoming a platform business including media consumption including uh, training and development including you know anything that you want to move towards will become platform business driven so understand the impact of platform businesses on your industry and find the ecosystems that you can actually start working with and working on. And then again, you know, just, <coughs> sorry, Carla, just use thought leadership and social media effectively. So use um, the platforms, understand digital marketing, understand user analytics and algorithms and how they work to push up your products to the front. Because so many individuals will start making decisions from their couches, from the back of a PC, as opposed to walking into stores. So understand the impact of your social media presence as well. So those are the areas that I believe entrepreneurs should be focusing on um, as we you know, embark in this new unknown and, and that's, I mean, so we've been pushed ahead 10 years. And, and my next question was going to be to you, what does entrepreneurship look like 10 years after that? Are we, are we, are we, are we thinking there? I mean, we talk about making uh, BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, where it's, it's far ahead in the future. And I think a lot of people, there's, there's life circumstances, as you've experienced, that can change, that can change that or can swerve that. But, I mean... We're, we're, we're in the future that we were envisaging. Now what? What then after? What 10, 20 years after that? <laughs> I wish I had, um, what do they call those things, those future balls or just being able to, to see into the future. I wish I had that. In fact, yesterday I was watching Back to the Future, but that's completely unrelated. <laughs> so I wish I was able to get into a car and drive to the future and, and come back and tell you all of the amazing things. Yeah. You know, Carla... Uh, when we talk about these industrial revolutions as well, it always fascinates me, right? Because it's not like we just stopped doing the one thing and then now we are pushed into <laughs> this digital euphoria where we have to embrace technology. What has happened with COVID-19, it's forced us to bring forward a lot of what we should have been doing, but do it right now. So what I foresee happening with a lot of entrepreneurs is them moving into the space of digital quicker than they would have. I see them embracing this new way of doing things. I see them embracing things, concepts like artificial intelligence and data analytics. I see them uh, using that to grow and shape their businesses. I mean, who would have thought a couple of years ago, and you know, Asia Pando spoke at one of your events, right? But who would have thought a couple of years ago, if I needed a maid, I can go online and find one. Um, that will help me. Um, you know, who would have thought that a tech startup in Cape Town, um, which is actually delivering groceries, will raise over 20 million during lockdown? Um, you know, so <laughs> I think entrepreneurs will start using 4IR as a business tool, as it should have been designed and intended, as opposed to something they are forced to do they will actually embrace it and they'll start using it to shape and mold their businesses into businesses that we have yet to see, right? 
Uber didn't exist a couple, a decade ago. Um, Airbnb didn't exist a year ago, but they're here now. So I think we're going to see a lot more businesses and business models are being disrupted because entrepreneurs have had to think differently so quickly. Very quickly. I am really grateful that we've spent this hour together today. Um, I might leave and go on my second entrepreneurship journey. No. <laughs> <laughs> start a side hustle. So, uh, I think that's the other thing is a lot of people complain about um, finding that, I mean, in the time now, I know a lot of people, those who are working are working harder than they've ever worked. Um, they, you know, they seem to be full foot on the throttle as much as there's an appreciation for, hey, we have to stop and reflect in our life and our life's work balance. Um, but finding that time for a lot of people is, is difficult with a side hustle, how, how, like how have you worked through or coached through some people being able to put that time aside? Again, you have such great questions today. Um, so one of my clients recently asked me, we are running this, um, we're going to be running this innovation accelerator for staff over 30 days. Yeah. And they said to me, yeah. they would like to get the executives to release these staff members from their day-to-day -day jobs so they could flesh out these innovations before they present it back to the client. And my response to that was no, actually not. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have traditional hours. So they should be released to attend the formal programs that we want to deliver to them, but they should be working uh, till 11 at night. They should be working on weekends on your business. Because if you are really an entrepreneur <clears throat> at heart, you don't think like someone that works in a corporate. Because I heard a quote the one day where <clears throat> someone said to Bill Gates, <coughs> they're leaving and he, uh, they're leaving later than normal. And we say, well, what are you doing with the other 12 hours of your day, right? Because there's eight to five jobs don't exist in the mind of an entrepreneur. I mean, I will end this call now. I'll probably get to do something on a personal level, but I'll sit and work on my computer till about 10 or 11 because I need to. Yeah. So that's what you need to do. If you are in a corporate and you're growing your side hustle, don't use the corporate's time to grow your side hustle. It's your private time that you need to use to grow your side hustle. Yeah, well said. So there's... there's I mean, I, I couldn't sleep last night. I was quite excited thinking about this, thinking about the topic of entrepreneurship. And in that, I was thinking, am I wasting my time lying here thinking about it or should I just get up? And, you know, that's the life. It's just get up, work through it until you're finished. You can choose your own hours. Not always. You have things committed to. But it's um, uh, the sense I get is that things are moving you, you are always on and you actually need to stop fighting that battle of I don't get my own time or I don't get a break from it. If you are doing what you are meant to do and it's purpose-led, it's, it's part of your everyday thinking and life and it turns in and out of you all the time. And it's, it can actually, I find people, people who work in, and whether it's a corporate or just for somebody else, find themselves feeling like they're owed something out of their time. Um, whereas when you're an entrepreneur, it's, it's just this, you're not resistant to that shutting off anymore. And actually you have a little bit more peace. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we always tell <clears throat> entrepreneurs, do what you have to, so you can do what you want to. Exactly. If you, <laughs> so if you're in a corporate role, you need to be there because that's where you make your money. But if you know there's something you're passionate about and you want to grow, then put in the effort, put in the hours until you're able to do it full time. So we never, ever tell individuals, um, you know, from three o'clock to four o'clock, use the company's resources and go and acquire some skills. That's not what a side hustle and growing a side hustle is about. It's about doing it on the side of your corporate role, not inside your corporate role. That's why it's called the side hustle and not the inside hustle. We've got to change that. Jayshree, it's been great. Um, I could go on, but I think we're going to leave it there today. 
I appreciate you being here with us. Happy Women's Month. Um, and, you know, let's, let's celebrate together by encouraging more women and men, uh, but to put their hands up and take that entrepreneurial journey or just any journey that I think um, is sort of purpose-led and what they want to really be doing. Um, and, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Carla, for the opportunity. I really appreciate the conversation and I love sharing more on the space. So please do feel free to share my contact details with anyone listening and um, happy to do any of these conversations again in the future. You take care and please pass my regards to Ralph as well. I will. Thank you, Jayshree. Thank you. Bye.